blessing to be back and fellowshipping with you. Thank you to all who have ministered here this morning as deacons and deaconesses and uh, teachers, Sabbath school leaders, those here on the platform, musicians. And uh, what a great thing to uh, see God at work drawing our hearts together in the name of praise and supplication, 10 days of prayer. Our weapons are mighty, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for breaking down, tearing down strongholds. So I want to encourage you, uh, let this be a year of discovering the living power of Christ as he strengthens your faith. It is a gift he gives you as you use it. He makes it even stronger, but remember the Bible says he gives to each man, each woman, each child a measure of faith. This morning I want to have a few short reflections. We are celebrating our communion service, and uh, we have just had a pastoral prayer, but I'm going to ask you to bow your head again as I pray, at least for myself especially, and for all of us as we journey in the Word. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for those that have brought us to the throne of grace already, and I just pray especially for these few moments we have in the Bible. We've been in Sabbath school classes. They've been a blessing. And now, Lord, as a body, young and old, we're here. So I'm praying, make this live for all. In me, I pray in these next moments, through me, and in my brothers and sisters, your people, our family. Thank you for making us part of your family. And now lead us, we pray, and provide and teach and comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This morning is a, it's a family Sabbath. And you may say, well, I don't attend church here. That's okay. You can still be part of the family. We're glad you're here. And we are part of a larger family. And that family is named by the name of Jesus. And this morning, I just want to take a few minutes to celebrate being a family and to reflect on being a family and its tremendous power. I have spent the last 10 or 11 days in Southern California, and after about day number seven or eight, I thought to myself, I want to go home. And so I started looking for airline tickets. The problem was, is that uh, every day I put my life in the hands of Christ to either adjust or establish my plans, and he was clearly saying, no, you're not going home. You're going to stay to the very end. I looked for tickets. I tried to find a way in which I could still get the benefit of what I was there for, but also get home a day early and be back with my wonderful wife and daughter and my church family. But God said no. Now, I want to couch what I'm going to share today because I'm going to share a few stories with you. I want to couch it against the backdrop of the early church. So take your Bibles and open them up to our scripture reading in Acts chapter 2. And there are Bibles in the pew. I want you to remember what a disadvantaged group of people they were in some ways. And I want to remind you of what an advantaged group of people they were in others. In Acts chapter 2, we have a church that is been on quite a roller coaster ride of discouragement and despair and then jubilation. As God gave the Spirit to anoint the people and there was a mighty harvest of human beings into the family of God, which is 
our great privilege is becoming sons and daughters of God. Now, how they continued this is how I want to focus because we weren't there on the day of Pentecost, but we're still following in the the spiritual ancestry of those who were. And so I just want to make sure on this communion Sabbath we don't miss the sweet, beautiful simplicity of what they had and not crave it and pray for it and ask for it ourselves because it's for you, it's for me. It says in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now this is four simple things. So let's just note them. The apostles' teaching. There was truth that is, was important to be reinforced or discovered. There were things that were new to them, and there was the revelation of the Spirit working through the disciples as even their knowledge of what it meant for Christ to come and die was growing, the resurrection. Now we know in Acts chapter 1 that they're still a little bit confused about the kingdom because they're saying, Lord, at this time, will you bring the kingdom? And Jesus says, you're focusing on the wrong thing. They still had their worldly ambitions. They were on a trajectory of better understanding. They were on a journey of growth. And that's what he calls us to. A journey of continually growing in the Lord. Attending to the teaching of the apostles, which is a large part of the Old Testament, but we certainly have a more comprehensive view of Scripture than that because in the New Testament, we're taught that all Scripture is God-inspired. That focus on the Bible is very, very important. It's the starting of life. It's God's Word. God brings life. His words bring things to fruitfulness. And so I want to encourage you, make sure you're not missing out on both the individual and the corporate journey of hearing the words of life, of focusing on the words of life. So the apostles' teaching. They were also devoting themselves continually to fellowship. Now, I'm convinced that this is where the devil's trying to make a... He's trying to flank us. That's military term. Instead of coming at us head on, he's coming at us from the side. That's what it means to flank somebody. And so he's trying to make the church a place where the fellowship factor is strained and stressed because he wants people to find fellowship at the stadium, at the bar, at the dance club, wherever it might be. He's looking to find a pseudo-intimacy. He's offering a false sense of togetherness that can't go very deep. It, not that it has no value and that there isn't a measure of bonding and blessedness in it, but the devil doesn't want us to know the joys of a very strong, sweet, beautiful family experience, which is where fellowship is the best when the family's praying and making their journey to whatever God has in mind for them, when they're making an effort to grow and to be healthy. You may have come out of a family that you don't think was very healthy, but you know what? The good news is, is that you don't have to focus on what was wrong. You can just focus on what's right, and you can come into a family and be a part of one that's a blessing. So this fellowship factor, it's huge. It's number two on the list, and the devil wants to make sure you don't enter into it. So we have pseudo-fellowship. We have a false sense of intimacy and connectedness, and sometimes it's through technology. I'm not diminishing the power of technology to create a connection, use it for good, but I am saying make sure you're not missing out on the richer form of fellowship, which is actual personal presence. 
Now, I know for those of you that were here praying through the 10 nights, you bonded with the people you prayed with. You could not help but at some level. Where that goes is up to you. But God wants to take it to the richness and the fullness of fruitfulness for him. They were also dedicating themselves to the breaking of bread, which is a, it's a metaphor of also fellowship, and I believe at some level, the dynamic of celebrating what Christ did for us. When we share food together, in this case, we're going to share food that is symbolic of the greatest gift ever given to mankind. They were celebrating what Jesus gave them at the very end, which was the fact that the old Passover was gone. It's, it's not just about being saved from the destroying angel. Now it's the celebration of, it's not just the story of grace in Egypt. It's now the fellowship of what you're pointing to, which is that marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be together in heaven. It's our togetherness in heaven that's going to be the glory. It's not the fact that the streets are gold and you never die. Those are nice, especially the never die part. But what's really going to be wonderful in heaven is that we're going to get to be children of God without a fear for eternity, without an insecurity or an anxiety for eternity. This breaking of bread was the way they were celebrating the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it was a call to prayer. Now, all of these things have a power to bond us together. But I want you to know something. When we lose everything else in society, if we still have the ability to study the Bible together, if we still have the ability to be encouraged by each other's presence, fellowship, if we still have the ability to come together and celebrate what God did for us, and if we still have the ability to pray, we'll have everything you need because there were thousands being added to the church daily. Now, I just want you to stop for a minute and make sure you understand the great privilege and responsibility of being in that kind of communion. So we're gonna, we practice an open communion here. Everyone is invited to participate. But it could be just another Sabbath morning. It could be just another ceremony. But I don't want it to be. I want you to understand that this morning we are celebrating family. We are celebrating the truth that brings us together. There was a call that went out. And in that call, there were truths about who God is. The Sabbath, what happens when you die, that you don't burn forever in hell, that we have a living high priest in heaven, that he sends prophets to his people. You have come out of that into a fellowship of the wonderful giftedness of God through truth. And today we celebrate that. We are, most of us here, maybe you're not, but most of us here are celebrating the fact that God has led us on a journey out of darkness into light. It's, it's one that doesn't end when you profess it, but it's one that bonds us deeply. We're celebrating here today the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're celebrating here today what Christ has done and the privilege to go straight before God. We're celebrating that as a door that was opened by Jesus. Now, I'm just appealing to you as my brothers and sisters, as my friends and acquaintances, whatever the case may be. Are, are there any of those attributes that you are neglecting in your life? Because if you are, you're not only losing out yourself, you're actually robbing somebody else. So many people think about church about, as something where they can get something. But God has made us a family, and families don't work well when the individuals think that way. Families think about each other. But it's hard to think about each other if we don't know each other. It's hard to think about each other if we don't understand each other's differences. It's much easier for me 
I mean, when I went through 10 nights of prayer a couple years ago, the people I prayed with, God just did an amazing work in my heart to bond me to those people, sharing those 10 nights on my knees with my brothers and sisters changed me, especially with the little circle I was praying with. Now, here's the deal. If Satan understands this deep human need for belonging, which is a basic human need wherever you go, and it's the glory of the Scriptures, what we have here works across cultures. Every person longs to belong. Now, some people don't want to put the effort in this day and age to belonging. They've been trained in kind of a more isolated approach to life. It could be you. And all of us can be just a tad bit uncomfortable in crossing the bridge of connectedness. But inside every human being is a desire to belong, especially when their world's falling apart. This world is coming apart slowly, some places much faster than others. Everybody's looking for somebody that cares to where they could really be safe. And they're in a system not just on their own. So let's come back to my efforts to find a a ticket out of Southern California back to my beautiful Michigan. It did rain there the last week, every day, just so you know. Um, They needed it. I was glad for them. God kept saying no. I checked more than one day. No. So finally I thought, well, there's a chance if I catch my flight... And it gets there in time, I can get off the airplane and catch my bus. It's going to take me over to the South Bend Airport, and I'll make the 115 bus. Well, you know, that plane had every seat full, every single seat. And I was in the back. And you know, when every seat is full in the back, it might take you 10, 15 minutes just to get into the aisle. Not only that, the plane pulled away from the gate late. Now, when you fly from the west to east, you go faster. At least oftentimes you go faster. And the trip was only going to take three hours and 17 minutes. So with my phone on airplane mode, I started figuring out when I was going to land at Midway. It turned out that we got there about on time, but there were so many people clogging the aisleways that I knew once I walked off the jetway that it wasn't going to happen. It didn't really bother me too much that I made a wrong turn in the airport and had to come back. But I thought to myself, I'm going to sit down and eat a little bit because I left very early. And then about 20 minutes before my bus was to leave, I thought, I'm going to go find out where I'm supposed to go. So I'm very geographically oriented. I don't get lost very easy. I love maps. I'm good with diagrams. My spatial relations scores are always high when I'm tested. But sorry for those of you who aren't. And maybe I'm sorry for those who are married to people who aren't. I don't know. God puts us together to grow. So I thought, okay, I've looked at the diagram before. I'm going to look at it again today. I followed it. I was right where I thought it told me to be. I knew I didn't get the 115, so it's like, okay, I'm going to get the 315. That'll put me back in South Bend at 520. I walked out there. There were tons of buses leaving from this location. I thought, okay, I'm in the right spot. But when it came 3.15 and the bus wasn't there, it's like, I'm a little worried. About 3.25, I called the company and said, is the bus coming? They said, oh, there's heavy traffic. It's like, okay, I'll wait. But at quarter to four, it's like something went wrong. And I called, and she basically said, you're in the wrong place. 
So I left. This meant now no 315 bus. I'm going to get the 515 bus. Now I thought to my, she told me, well, if you want to go get the 415 bus, you can at least come to the bus depot and wait there. So I found my way around. I walked up to a nice gentleman. I said, is this where this bus comes? He said, you're in the right place, which was music to my ears. And within 60 seconds, that bus was sitting there. Big bus. I walked over to the bus, got on, and I should have noticed that something was a bit strange about all of this. I walked up into the bus. There was not a single soul on the bus, not one. It'll hold 50-some passengers, and there was not a seat occupied except the driver's seat. Now, I don't usually sit right at the front, but I decided I'm going to sit right here, just slightly to the back right. I'm in the front seat. I'm going to sit here today. What I didn't know is that this woman, we'll call her Brianna, was uh, not a real name. It was going to be she and I on a 50-some passenger bus for an hour. She heard me on the phone a little bit because I had to make some phone calls and talk to some people. She knew very early on that I was a Christian. She didn't know I was a minister. And uh, after I was off the phone a little bit, I started talking with her. Now, she had those little white remote control earbuds in her ear, and she, she popped them out after a little bit. So I took that as, it's okay, you can talk to me. And I did. We visited for a little while and uh, talked about God and church a little bit. She was quite open. But then the conversation got a little bit, it seemed a little harder to keep it going, and I didn't feel like I should force myself on her. But every once in a while, we'd say a little something or another. I just kept praying. And then all of a sudden, we found the topic that put us in high gear. It was health. And she was interested in healthy living, which opened the door for the last 30 minutes of that visit. And along the way, God gave me an opportunity to talk with her about hearing his voice in the Bible and about, I got to affirm her so many ways for the effort she was making to improve her health. And when it was all said and done, I offered to uh, send her a gospel of John and maybe a cookbook or something. And she didn't hesitate a bit to share with me her dress. And before we made it to the bus depot, a woman who doesn't go to church, although I think there's probably religion in her background, she was telling me this was a providential visit. There was a reason you missed your bus, she said. Well, I sat in the bus depot as it got dark, thinking about the fact that I wouldn't be home till 9.20. And eventually the other bus came. Now, they were switching drivers on that bus. And the one driver that was getting off the bus seemed very warm and, and hospitable. And the other driver that was getting on seemed to be the opposite. <laughs> my stuff was slid under the bus. I took my seat. We sat there for a while where they worked through a few technical issues with the bus and she filled out some kind of log. And we had all been sitting there for a while, which I can see why the, her comment came out the way it did. I don't think she really loved her job or loved the people like the previous bus driver had. But uh, eventually, when it's about time to go, here comes uh, a woman about at retirement age that's coming across the parking lot and the bus driver gets on her phone. She says, where are these people coming from? <laughs> Well, hey, look, that is your business. You haven't left yet. They, they, they're coming to the bus. But I heard the woman walking up to the bus say something like, praise the Lord. I thought, this lady's a Christian. 
Because you don't talk freely with, with words that honor God unless you, in public, unless it's just who you are. So she got on the bus, comes up the four or five stairs, turns left, and comes and plops herself right down behind me. Now, I like to visit with people, and so she was kind of an outgoing person, and pretty soon we struck up a little conversation, and I, uh, I don't like to crane my neck on and on and on, so I turned a little bit in the seat, still had to, you know, and you got to speak up a little bit so you can be heard. For the next hour and a half, we engaged in a conversation. Her husband is a professor in one of the non-Adventist Christian colleges in this general Michiana area. And along the, along the point in time, what I discovered was, was that this lady had been on the buses almost all day, and she had gotten to Midway just as they were posting all the cancellations. So she rode the bus all day long just to go back to South Bend. But what was really happening was she was riding the bus all day long so that she and I could visit. For the next 90 minutes at least, probably more, we engaged in dialogue, and along the way, some very interesting dots were connected. Probably the most significant one was that her son-in-law was raised, at least in some measure, as a Seventh-day Adventist. And this woman who is a second grade teacher in the public school system. I want to give a real shout out to the treasure we have in our schools. She's a retiring second grade teacher in one of the metro areas around here. She does not enjoy teaching. Now listen, this woman actually does enjoy teaching. She just doesn't enjoy teaching second graders in the public school system, and I was a little curious about that, she said, yes, three of my second graders are suspended right now. Out of control behavior. Listen, we have treasures in our church schools. When I told her that my wife taught in a local church school, she made some comment about how much more my wife probably enjoys it than she enjoys what she's doing. Now, I'm sure she's there as a missionary, but I want to tell you something. The culture we create in our homes and the collective culture we bring to our churches and our schools is a rich, rich treasure. We must continue to make the efforts to press together to provide it for the future generations and sustain it healthily in the now. When we finally pulled into the South Bend bus station, we exchanged phone numbers And by God's grace, I'm hoping the dynamic can involve getting better acquainted with the ministry she and her husband has here. But God gave me these two experiences for a reason. I'm going to tell you why. Because on Thursday night before I left, when I walked up to the the hills that overlook Riverside, And I looked out on all those people, 30 million people living there in Southern California. I couldn't see them all. But I walked up and I looked at all those people and I found myself a little bit discouraged that it seems that sometimes our churches are just caught up in the routine of doing and we're not really striking fertile ground and connecting with all kinds of people who would be so blessed if they encountered a deep, intimate relationship with God, which is what I believe Seventh-day Adventist has to offer when it's 
walking in a vibrant, fragrant encounter with Jesus. So what was God saying to me? He was saying, look, Ron, you don't need to worry. This isn't going to be some grand strategy that some pastor or some administrative team is going to conjure up. I have the ability to move my sheep towards my shepherds at any time I want. Now, I'm only one shepherd of 300 gathered here today. Do you know that we believe in the priesthood of all believers and your lives are to be pastoral ministry to the people you're encountering at home, at work, at school, at the gym, at the grocery store, wherever you go. God is looking to take advantage of these four simple elements. Truth, the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship, a warm, what do I want to say, leveraged sociability. When I say leverage, what I mean is you've invested in understanding the power of being friendly. When it comes to the componentry of breaking bread together, it's, it's a fellowship factor that makes us that we come into a, a society of edification. Now I know that all the words shared from this pulpit and all the words shared in your family are not always edifying the way we'd like. We'd love to be a, a society of only mutually edifying people. But you know, we're, fa- we're people and sometimes there's, there's uh, grit in the gears and we've got to work that out. But what can't be missing from us is this powerful invitation that just kind of catches people and they say, belonging there, being in their presence... I enjoyed that. So this dynamic of celebrating our oneness in Christ and then our prayer journey. You know, when I send the cookbook and the Gospel of John over to Brianna, you know what else I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be looking to see, based on her address, which she shared with me, what Seventh-day Adventist churches are in the area and do any of them have cooking schools going on? Now listen, When we have a cooking school going on here, as a matter of fact, we have a great health weekend coming up next weekend. If there was ever a time when if you have the kind of relationship with your coworkers or your friends to invite somebody to come out, next Sabbath is it. Who in this modern age isn't interested in health? And we're going to have an expert here all day long. What I'm saying to you is, if in our ordinary activities with people, we are getting the benefit of two things, Fellowship with God in a healthy way and fellowship with each other in a healthy way. Now, I want to interject something into this last few minutes before we break. If you have a healthy family system, that means by and large it's a non-anxious system. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, if in your relationship with God you're constantly in a dynamic of worry about His love and acceptance to you, If you're worried about his love and acceptance towards you, you're in an anxious relationship with God. And part of what this morning is about is God saying to you, I don't want you in an anxious system with me. Now, he may create a little growth moments in your life. I'm not talking about what he does on a daily basis or maybe what he's calling you to on a larger basis. But what I'm saying is this. This morning, as we break this bread and we eat it, you need to know something. You are loved and accepted by Jesus Christ, not on the merits of who you are, but on the heart of love that he came to reveal of his Father. You are not to live in 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 an element of insecurity about what that is. Families that have an anxious presence about them tend to be much more dysfunctional. 
And what I'm trying to say this morning to you is, is that in your communion here this morning, we do the communion service, and there is a warning in 1 Corinthians 11 to make sure that you don't just go into this willy-nilly. If God's speaking to you right now saying, you need to say you're sorry to somebody else, you're not supposed to have anxious dynamics or stressful dynamics between you either. So if this system this morning, if this service this morning, if our family experience this morning can assure us that it's on the merits of a perfect life of Christ, it's on the merits of the love of who He is as God that my acceptance is provided in in heaven. I'm placed in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, I'm growing, but it's not on me making sure I'm the performance king or queen. If we can move the attention off ourselves and put it on Jesus, we will be in a place where the anxiousness of our encounter with God goes away. And it'll also open us up to hear better if there's any stress in our human relationships and we try to fix that too. It's awfully hard to love somebody you fear. It's impossible. And so this morning what I'm saying is this. When I laid down Thursday night to go to sleep, I was troubled. But by the time I made it back to South Bend at about 10.30, it took a lot longer than I thought, by the time I finally made it back to South Bend at 10.30, God had said to me, this isn't about you. You don't have to worry. I can lead my sheep wherever I want them to be, but I do think what God was saying to me is, could you be in a relationship with me to where when I send you somebody, it's natural and you're ready? So communion this morning. It's a great moment to say, God, I want to love you in a different way. I want it to be more than mind and more than profession. And in these symbols and in this time of reflecting, God, talk to me, would you? But whether I sense you talking to me or not, help me to make sure that I've done what's in my power to open the doors up to hear what you're saying and see what you're doing. And then with your fellow man, it could be a spouse, it could be a child. If there's anything you want me to do with the people I'm here with today, help me to know how to do it. And if it can't happen this morning, help me to fix it at the right moment when your divine providence shows me this is the time. Seek the visit. God's at work. And we are to be little children. Don't you like John's little epistle when he says little children? That's what he says in those three little books at the end. He calls us little children. What do little children get to do? They get to quit worrying. What do little children do? They get to enjoy the bountiful blessings of parents. What do little children get to do? They get to enjoy innocence. Little children probably have in a a relatively healthy home, little children probably have the one phase of existence in their life on planet Earth that could be truly called a little sanctuary. (laughs) This morning, I just want to remind you, you're all God's little children, and so am I. I'm inviting you to enter into an experience with God where the stressors are removed as far as it's in our power. So this morning, God loves you. These emblems represent 
a God who loved you enough to leave heaven, suffer immensely for 33 years, and suffer even more right at the very end. But all along the way, he loved his disciples and he loves us. And he left them with a rich heritage of, of, of recognizing how wonderful it is to be children in God's, in God's house. So friends, the future is rich if we keep that walk with God and our walk with each other. Let's come together and edify ourselves. Share a word of encouragement. Pray before you watch each other's feet. We wash each other's feet in this church. It seems a little awkward when you do it the first time, but I'll tell you what, when you kneel down from somebody and you hold their hands and you pray, you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus and something special happens. And then when we leave there and we come back here and we celebrate the assurance if God gave His Son, there's nothing more He can give. Our eternal security is in Him. This is a good day. So I'm inviting you this morning. Let Jesus remove any barrier. Let's make a commitment to our church family, our nuclear families, and our heavenly family that we'll let Jesus lead us to the happiest, carefree existence we have. And let's be one of the most edifying, fragrant and fruitful body of believers that can be by prioritizing the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, not just here, sharing your home, and prayer. Simple. That's all they needed. They added to the church daily. And of course, there was a mighty wave of the Spirit rushing through the church, no doubt. But maybe the wave won't fully flow until we get farther in the water of togetherness. Let's see. Today's our day. Let's be a family. Whether you attend here regularly or you don't, make a new friend. Pray with a new sister. Pray with a new brother. And let's celebrate God making us part of his family. And may the devil not win by flanking us. Let's show the world where true communion, true community, true love exists in God's house, in our hearts, for each other and for him. Now, we're going to separate, and we have plenty of room over in the uh, family center for the ladies, and we have plenty of room down in the basement under that in the youth room for the men. Now, uh, every other communion, we do couples. This is not one where we're doing the couples, and there's a reason we do that. We do that to make sure that we're not just bonding on a DNA level, although we need to do that. That's why we do it regularly, but we're also bonding on a spiritual level. So there is no couple communion this morning. That's every other Sabbath, so in the spring we'll have that one. I encourage you, just let God guide you to someone, share in this communion, and may you come away with a deep sense of the beauty of brotherly and sisterly love. Let's pray, and then we'll divide. Lord, this is your house. As we've received you, We've come into a special communion, a bond with each other. Those bonds are still developing, Lord, and I suspect they will through eternity. But I pray today, Lord, may they develop more by our intentionality at having a strongly bonded family. Thank you for the great intentionality of heaven that brought us near to you and bless us as we not only wash each other's feet, but as we break the bread, and drink the cup. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God be with you. We'll separate at this time for the ordinance of the foot washing.
Families have traditions. In an age of ever-changingness, traditions, many of them are very, very good. And you want to have some. This is not just a tradition. This is a gift from Jesus who, when he was in his last night with the disciples, prior to the great paradigm shift, the great frame change in their mind about what Messiah meant. You know, he knelt down, he washed their feet. It was so completely out of character for them, but so completely in character for God. What a beautiful God. Can you say amen? Amen. A God who washes feet. If he can do it, we can do it. As I wash feet downstairs, I was just reminded by my foot washing partner that as we kneel and wash each other's feet, we're just reminded that we're just the same. What a beautiful thing. So now here we are with more than a tradition. We're here with symbols that teach awesome, eternal realities. And these symbols, they're little but they're mighty. And so this bread that we're going to partake of, it's unleavened. Uh, So often that leaven was a symbol of sin. Christ's life was without sin. He came as a perfect sacrifice. He came to be what we couldn't be. And he stands in our place. And his record is our record, and his experience is becoming our experience. And this is why we have hope. Look at yourself. (laughs) Not too long, you'll get discouraged. And then look to Jesus. Be honest with yourself, but don't make yourself the center of the world. You're not. And if you make yourself the center of the journey, you'll go round and round in circles. But Jesus is calling us to healthier, happier, higher ground. That's where we're at today. And that's why what we study matters, and that's why our fellowship matters. There are things you need to learn from each other you're never going to learn on an individual journey. You're going to have to bump into somebody else who's going to enlighten you. That's why you don't want to miss a gathering of the saints. There's blessings being poured out that won't be gotten anywhere else. You're not going to be able to seek them out on the internet. God intended that I wash feet with the person I just washed feet with. It was another providential encounter by his testimony, not mine. You're a missionary here on Sabbath morning. Don't come any other way. (laughs) You're a missionary everywhere you go. But you start with the brotherhood and the sisterhood. That fellowship factor is huge. Don't forego the discipline of intentionally chosen fellowship. It's the easiest thing in the world to say, "Eh, I don't feel like it. But I want to tell you, when you're done, you're on higher ground almost always. The breaking of the bread. This morning here at this table, maybe at your home table. And then prayer. So, you know, in joyfulness and simplicity, the Bible says, you want to live a joyfully simple life? Seek God first. Make His kingdom first. He'll help you cut the things out. It's not easy. We live in the most complicated age, maybe ever, on the face of the planet. Don't give up. It's okay. You're a child of God. And He's going to bless you as you make efforts to find the joyful simplicity that 
makes you a fragrance for encouragement in the midst of anybody that you're with. Not always. We go through our own valleys, but, but often. So this morning, we're going to seek God in the wonderful celebration of family. This is the greatest family celebration as a body of believers that we share. We are being reminded that we now belong to God in a way we never belonged when it was just Adam and Eve. The cost of Calvary bonds us at a deeper level than Adam and Eve could have ever known Christ in unfallen experience. We are bonded through a journey of love and sacrifice by Jesus and you belong to his family and this is what we're celebrating. If you lose family members here or friends, remember what Jesus said, 36 and 100 fold in this age. He was talking about the church and more in the life to come. So, brothers and sisters, take courage. All right, we're going to kneel up here. I'm going to invite the elders and the deacons to kneel. And uh, Sister B and Brother Paul are going to pray that we would sense Jesus in the emblems. And uh, when we're done with that, all of us up here will stand and begin to uh, distribute the symbols of hope and togetherness. So I invite you to bow your head in the pew, and I invite the elders and deacons to kneel here with us as we pray. Lord, as we take this bread, we remember that you are the bread of life. You feed our souls and nourish our hearts. Thank you for the great price you paid when you were crucified on the cross for our sins. Help us to wait for you, to wish for you, and to watch for you, so that when we come again, you will find us ready. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Father God, unto us a child was born, indeed over 2,000 years ago. Yet unto us today may a son be given, even your lamb, to take away our sin. Your word teaches us that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. We give thanks that the blood of Jesus is sinner positive. No matter the type of blood that each may have today, his blood is full and sufficient to accompany the bread of his body to provide once again not only forgiveness but also reconciliation, not only cleansing but also peace. So we rest our case upon this cup Bless each who receives it by faith today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
This is the great transition from the experience of the Old Testament Passover to the assurance of the New Testament celebration that God sent the Passover lamb. His name was Jesus. That lamb was slain once. The fountain that flows from the love of God's heart is more than sufficient to wash us from our sins. It's not just enough to wash us from our sins. That love is powerful enough to break the love of self and supplant it with the love for God and the love for others. That love will never die. Jesus was crucified. He laid down his life. But he had the power to take it up again. It was a perfect sacrifice. It's still perfect, and it still is in your place. And you can have perfect trust in the one who made it. Speaking through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, this represents the pure life and the physical and all-encompassing sacrifice of Christ. We are to eat it in remembrance of Jesus. Our universe is full of laws. One law is the law of sin and death. God didn't make up death when they ate from the tree. Death is the function of a law. Death was not a punishment that was created by God. Death was the result of the laws of the universe. Self-seeking to the point of rebellion and disobedience could do nothing but lead to death. Paul will write as he reflects on his spiritual struggle, who will deliver me from this body of death? That deliverer is Jesus. One of my favorite hymns says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. I want to tell you, friends, arriving at home is the goal. Amen? Amen. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. I was not headed home. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed His precious blood. Sometimes that song overwhelms me. I envision Christ shedding drops of blood to pull me off the path of death and put me on the path of life. This pure, unfermented grape juice, which represents the pure, beautiful love, life, and sacrifice of Jesus, is enough assurance to get you home and it's more than enough gratitude to remind you where you were going and what he paid to put you on the path of life. You've got to stop and think about it. Turn off the cell phones, leave off the computer, put down the remote, seek a divine simplicity where deep thoughts could stretch your heart and your mind. Nobody else has done this for most of us. 
Nobody else has done it for any of us because nobody did what Jesus did. His sacrifice was bigger than any other sacrifice ever made. You might have had somebody lay down their life for you. Not most of us. But the God of heaven has laid down his life and he's formed the bridge. He is Jacob's ladder. And by God's grace, remembering that we're children and that our Father can get us home, that we have a good shepherd in Jesus and the Spirit lives in us. Whenever you partake of this cup, remember you belong to God's family and do it in remembrance of Him. Amen. I invite you to take our hymn books or read the screen and turn to our closing hymn. You'll recognize the tune even if you don't recognize the hymn at first. Four oh seven. Let's stand together as we sing. for the poor as you exit today. So if God moves on your heart to participate in that, it will lend practical assistance to those in financial duress. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great privilege, the new identity, the living hope. Now I pray bless us in the rest of this Sabbath day. May family matter most, our connection to you first, our bonds in the biological connections we have, should we share those in Christ. And of course, Lord, our brotherhood and sisterhood in you. Make us, Lord, willing to share from the abundance with a world that's heartbroken and heavy, complicated and stressed. Give us the joy and simplicity as we study the doctrine, as we fellowship. 
as we break bread together and as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.